I can tell you that diversity and inclusion, and I actually refer to it as diversity, equity, and, and inclusion because I just feel it's, it's so much more encompassing that way, has come a very, very far away. And I can actually attest to this. In the world of public accounting, 20 years ago, there was not a lot and not even a push for it. I think with diversity, what you get is a wide scope of ideas, different ideas that maybe you would not have been exposed to. I'm Adam Connors from NetworkWise and your host of Who's Who in HR. Ask any successful CEO about the most important aspect of their company and they'll inevitably answer their people. And who is it that's responsible for their people? It's human resources. In fact, HR is the backbone of any elite organization. They attract, develop, and engage top talent, progress culture, secure, and manage important benefit programs, make sure you're appropriately paid, protect the best interest of each employee and the company, and so much more that, quite frankly, often gets taken for granted. On Who's Who in HR, I'll have in-depth discussions with well-known human resource leaders who offer insights into who they are, how they got there, and the areas they support. During our conversation, these leaders will reveal beneficial industry advice and innovative trends in the HR space that's contributing to keeping the world's most successful companies at the top of their game. When it comes to the career of an HR professional, Saran Johnson is a bit of an anomaly as she's been with the same company for over 20 years. On today's episode, we discuss how her career has evolved throughout the years and Saran shares her thoughts and ideas on how to start programs for diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. Let's dive right in. All right. Saran Johnson, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Adam Thomas? <laughs> I'm even better now that I'm feeling your energy. I like this. We're doing an early morning podcast and it feels like it's like 12 o'clock in the afternoon with your energy. So we're going to have some fun. We're going to learn about you and you're going to educate us. Sound like a plan? That sounds like an amazing plan. I'm ready to go. All right. So I like to start the show with something that I call uh, rapid fire questions. And uh, it's the little way to let the audience get to know you a little better and just to have some fun. And then from there, we're going to roll into the main segment of the show and you're going to teach us. Sound, sound good? Sounds good. All right. So I got a question for you. It's just something that I always struggle with. And I'd like to know how someone in your position that gets asked for a lot, how they handle things. So I'd like to know... How do you say no? Well, I'll tell you, I have a lot of experience saying no because I have three kids, <laughs> three girls that are a middle school age. So no comes pretty easy on the home front. Professionally, it's a little bit more difficult. I do wear my emotions on my sleeves and I'm a pretty direct person. And so I'm not really going to BS you, but there are times when unfortunately you just have to say no. And I'd rather just be direct than beat around the bush. So it's fairly easy for me. That's great. There was uh, I had an FBI hostage negotiator on uh, my other show, and his advice for everything is to start with no. 
And yeah, no, it's great advice. From an FBI guy. Yeah. 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 It was, uh, it was really interesting. And for most people, myself being one of them, it's very difficult to do. So I'm always curious to how people do that and, and to be able to kind of maintain a relationship. But he's saying that when you start with no, everything else is just, just downhill from there. It's easy. So I tend to agree. I tend to agree with that. And I got to tell you, you have some of the most interesting guests from FBI to just everything. I've been listening to some of the past episodes and you're really doing a good job with this podcast. Thank you. I'm having fun. I got to tell you, it's, it's awesome. You know, I'm getting an opportunity to sit down with people like yourself that have accomplished a lot. And I, it's just fun to hear your story, to learn about what did you do? How did you do it? So whatever has taken you 20 plus years, if there's something that I can glean from you and then also share with the audience, I mean, that's awesome. So in the spirit of that, you've had some uh, pretty amazing accomplishments. One in particular I'd, I'd love to learn a little bit more about is when you were recognized in cranes. How did that happen? And if you could share a little bit about that. Yeah, so I'll tell you, after spending 20 years in the industry, really considering myself an, an HR generalist, I mean, I do a little bit of everything. And that's always been something that I actually was priding myself on because I, I like the ability to go into work on a daily basis and kind of not know what I'm going to get hit with. And so Cranes kind of picked up on some of the diversity inclusion stuff that I was doing and contacted my marketing team and said, hey, would you be interested in being recognized? And who turns down Cranes, right? So yeah. it was amazing. Amazing. They were able to highlight some of my career accomplishments, but also focus a lot on the diversity and inclusion stuff that I've been doing in my present position. So it was amazing. Kudos to you. And what's really interesting is typically it's marketing that reaches out to cranes. Yes. <laughs> so, so for them to find you, then congrats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then for me, you know, I'm just happy when someone wants to talk to an HR person. I, I'm normally the person that people avoid. And so. <laughs> So podcasts, cranes, I'm happy to talk and tell a little bit about my life. That's great. So, I mean, it sounds like I, I feel like I know the answer to this question already, but I want, and I feel like the answer is everywhere. But where is your happy place? <laughs> my happy place is on a beach in the Caribbean <laughs> and a really, really good book. I am, my, my family's of Caribbean descent. My family's actually um, originally from Jamaica. And so we have a home there that's always great for us as a respite, you know, away from the hustle and bustle of New York City. Unfortunately, during quarantine, I haven't had an opportunity to, to be down there since now 2019. So as soon as the borders open and I can jump on a flight, I'm there. You are there. That's a beautiful place. So what book is going to be in your hand when you are on the beach with, the, with your drink in the other hand? So one of my favorites, and I actually reread re books sometimes just for inspiration, but Becoming by Michelle Obama, just an amazing story of her life. Of course, former President Obama plays a huge part, but it really is focuses a lot on women's empowerment and, and how to do it all. It's not easy being a working mom. In the beginning of the Obama's relationship, she was the primary breadwinner. So all of those dynamics in a great book. I think that she's an amazing writer and it really is inspiring to really hear her story. Yeah. Do you think she'll ever run for president? I don't know, but I hope so. <laughs> there are rumblings of it. You ever you, you hear it everyone now and again? I have, I have, and I think that she would probably do a really good job, having been so close to the presidency. Yeah. But it's all dependent on whether or not the country's ready for an African American woman as president. And hopefully, at some point in the future, we will be. All right. 
described. So tell me three things over the last week that have happened to you that you're, you know, you were happy or just grateful for. Yeah. So I'll tell you two things are personal and one thing professional. I have an 11 year old. She turned 11 on September 18th. So that was just last Friday. I had a very eventful weekend, Adam. I got to tell you. And then on Saturday the 19th, my twin girls, who um, are 10, they had their first communion. Long awaited, delayed. It was supposed to happen in the spring. So April of this year, finally got it done. It was chillier than we would have liked, but a huge accomplishment for them. And they're done with their, their religious studies for now. Then on a professional note, just preparing everyone at my company, we are, we're doing a return to work effective 10-1. Oh. Yeah. So just working through the dynamics of that, we have offices all across the United States. So various jurisdictions have different density rules and so on and so forth. So so working through that, but I'm excited to kind of get back into the swing of things after this quarantine life since March. That's great. And is that well received? Are people excited to start getting back to some sense of normalcy? More than anything, it's not 100%. We're back in the office and you're expected to be there, but we're flexible and can work through whatever you have. So whatever the arrangement is, two to three days a week, full remote, we just really need to have plans in place as we kind of round out the fourth quarter and plan for our staffing needs for 2021. Gotcha. You know what I just realized is I, I forgot to ask you to explain what your role is within the organization. Probably oh, yeah. What do I do? Listening to <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> So I am co-chief of human resources at Markham. We are full-service public accounting firm. I've been with the firm, like I mentioned, 20, 20 years now. Started your entry level at the tender age of 12. And so, you know, 20 years, you know, I'm not too far, too old just yet. But that being said, I share the role with someone who focuses more on the benefits and compensation side of things. And I am really the generalist. So more related to strategy, recruiting, retention, all of that good stuff. Gotcha. So you, you mentioned something and I don't want to gloss over this. You've been with one organization. What's it like being a unicorn? Yeah. You don't see it a lot, I have to tell you. But what has made my position great for me and, and just a wonderful experience is that we've grown a tremendous amount. So when I started with the firm 20 years ago, it looked very different. We were solely New York-based and had about 120 people. And now we have 30 locations, 2,500 people, international locations as well. So there's just been a tremendous amount of growth. That growth has come through really merger and acquisition. And for me, each time we merge or acquire a new firm, it's like a new job. And so that's really what has kept me energized and interested and yeah, challenged. Yeah, it sounds like fun. So do you appreciate like how rare it is to be, having been with one organization? Do people, when they typically find out that it's, you've just been with one place or do they, are they like, oh, well, you really need to move and check out other things? Or they're like, wow, that's amazing because this just doesn't happen again. I, I mean, I get a little bit of both. Most, but most times, because of how dynamic an organization, you know, it, it really is inspiring for a lot of people and they admire it. And so, for the most part, it's very well received. There are times when people say, well, your dysfunction is <laughs> why you're sticking around. But I, again, love it, love what I do. And most important for me, it's the people that I work with um, really amazing people, my immediate leadership crew very long tenured as well. So I probably have the least amount of tenure in, in some of those circles within the organization. So really good people. Yeah. Wow. 
I mean, what does that say about Markham? That's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. You touched on something earlier, diversity and inclusion. Why, and stuff that you've done, why do you feel that is so important to the organization and just in general? Yeah, I can tell you that diversity and inclusion, and I actually refer to it as diversity, equity, and and inclusion because I just feel it's so much more encompassing that way, has come a very, very far away. And I can actually attest to this. In the world of public accounting, 20 years ago, there was not a lot and not even a push for it. I think with diversity, what you get is a wide scope of ideas, different ideas that maybe you would not have been exposed to. I had the benefit of going to um, some pretty diverse schools. I mean, I went to Hofstra University undergrad and so got an opportunity to meet people of all different backgrounds. But I think it's important to have diversity in thought as opposed to everyone kind of thinking the same and moving the same. I am against sheep mentality. So for me, anything that's different is always what is going to interest me. Love that. Yeah, I'm such a fan of not getting stuck in an echo chamber. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah, and it happens. You know, I'll tell you something that's really interesting is if you're ever in a group of people, if this ever happens again, where we can be around a group of people, it's so interesting. Have somebody throw out like a random topic and then just say that into the phone and what you'll be you'll be so no I'm serious it's really interesting so see what shows up on their their news feed oh very interested the exact same topic you and I could be sitting at a at a it'll be it's it's better when you do it with a group of people but Mm -hmm. throw out like I don't know anything random like elephant or just some kind of random word and you'll always everyone will get like the first two or three will they'll all come up with the same because it's whoever's paid the most with like these these, uh, pay for click or whatever that's called right term right after that you're going to start seeing people getting different. You'd think it would all be the same, but it's actually not because obviously of what goes on with Big Brother and all these people watching. But it's just its so interesting to see the different news articles or other things that come up. So it's a fun little thing to do. And it just kind of shows you, again, getting different perspectives, diversity, stuff like that. I love that. Adam, it's funny that you say that because I feel the same way just about just news. You mentioned news and I try to get international news as much as I can. So I'm a huge BBC fan. I I just like to see other things outside of the CNN and MSNBC that, again advertisers pay. And so what you're exposed to, so to a certain extent, is, is what they'd like you to be exposed to. I think a worldview is always a good one to have. Completely agree. Where do you think, in your opinion, where do most companies go wrong when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion? Yeah, I think, and to be quite honest, initially when I kind of took the steps to roll out this program at Markham, we ran into very similar issues and it was just that people want to throw money at the problem. And I don't know that dollars are necessarily, or initially, you know, the initial thought is to, all right, so we'll do a scholarship for $10,000 or, or whatever else to, to someone that's disadvantaged. It really is a matter of looking at process and procedure and things that would encourage people. So there's diversity and then there's inclusion. And so you go out and you recruit and, and you try to attract people, but then what's going to make them stay? And really what makes people stay is seeing others or or the ability to be mentored by people that are similar to them in some way. And so it it would be silly to go out and recruit and then say, all right, you're a part of the organization, you'll be fine without giving them opportunity, giving minorities, people of different ethnic backgrounds, an opportunity to thrive and excel. You started the program, correct? Yes. Okay. How do you go about 
starting one of these programs, <laughs> you know, so, instead of just throwing money, what, you know, what are the steps that you've got to take? And if you don't mind, maybe we'll start high level and I'll dig in a little deeper. Yeah. So maybe I'll tell you how things kind of developed for me. When I started with Markham, they did have a women's initiative. So that I didn't start. It focused really just on advancing women throughout not only public accounting, but within our organization. And then I want to say maybe 10 years into me being at Markham and I had been promoted to manager level and didn't necessarily see a lot of people that look like me in these leadership positions and said, let's dig a little bit deeper and start digging into other groups. And so we opened it up to every group. I mean, we have affinity groups at Markham that are include veterans, young professionals, working parents. So really, it came naturally. It was a natural progression from the women's stuff that we were doing. And then from there, it was really getting buy-in from our executive team. So going and making a pitch for the benefits of having diversity in thought and having people from different backgrounds. And then it started to hit us from a monetary standpoint. As you start getting government contracts or that type of work, they ask and require diversity. <laughs> and so it really became at some point, we needed to, in our proposals, present diversity within our firm and diversity within teams that might work on you know, certain engagements. And so we've been able to develop from there. I have to tell you, this year, 2020, we've made humongous strides because of all the things that have happened, primarily the catalyst of George Floyd and his murder, and really have taken a stand to change process and procedure and how we look at things for the better. So... When you're applying for things, are we talking about like government funding? Is, is this like grant, we're getting hiring a grant writer? To, no. You, okay. No, I, I'm sorry. Stuff. Yes. This. No, no. So this is more from, we're a public accounting firm. And so we have government clients, different clients that look for, they have requirements for them. And, and they would like to not only know about the firm, but potentially the engagement team that might come out. What might that look like? What's the ratio of male to women? What's the ratio of diversity just within your teams? Interesting. So you put all this together. How long does this does something like this take? I mean, this doesn't happen overnight. Absolutely not. I think for to make any real impact, you're looking at somewhere between 24 to 36 months, two to three years, because things don't change overnight. And so you really have to take a look at one of the things that we looked at from our recruiting standpoint is what schools and universities were we going to? And yes, there's diversity in most schools, but potentially looking at schools that focus on certain groups or certain areas just to give them the ability to get the exposure that, that they may not have had traditionally. And what are the biggest obstacles or challenges that you're facing when putting together one of these kinds of programs? I think that for some people, they think of diversity, they think that it may be taking away from mainstream or if what I give to someone else is maybe taking away from what I get. And my message is really just there's enough for everyone. And there's some people that are disadvantaged in a way that they're not starting. They're not even starting from zero. They're almost in a negative space. And just giving everybody the ability to start at the same place gives such opportunity to, to those that may not have had that traditionally. So what are the conversations that need to happen? Related to starting a program? Yeah, starting a program, correct. And, and also getting that buy-in. Yeah, I mean, really, really taking a look at statistics. I mean, first, you have to get real with yourself, right? And there has to be a certain layer of transparency. So really taking a look at what your workforce looks like. And then from there, 
trying to come up with goals and metrics that also align with your organization. And so that's where you're really getting your executive team and your leadership teams to buy into this. And, and the idea of that by having this diversity, it not only is looks good on paper, but it also it creates a camaraderie and just a different world as far as I'm concerned. It leads to ideas, thoughts, and creativity. Yeah. When do you feel there was like that tipping point out there where the world's like, yeah, we need this. Like this is, this, and, and it gained the most momentum. Yeah. We've been working steadily, I would say for the last 10 years on DEI, but I have to tell you that 2020 really has been a catalyst between coming off of a pandemic and we're still in it. So when I say coming off of it, listen, we're six months into it at this point, going, you know, as an HR person, just kind of working through that and then going directly into some of the racial injustice that's been going on within the country. It really was our opportunity to take a stand and make a difference. So for us, 2020 has really been 2020 vision. It's been an eye-opening year, opportunity for us to really make changes within our organization. Great. Now, here's something that comes up that I'd be curious to get your perspective on it, is that some organizations, when they implement the diversity, equity, and uh, inclusion, some of the issues that they have is that some of the diversity candidates or employees just stick with themselves. And they aren't kind of matriculating into an organization. Do you have any thoughts on that? And if so, what do you guys do to try to help socialize them within the organization? Absolutely. And we've seen that as well. It's reminiscent of high school. You know, the jocks sit over on this side, mean girls over on this side. But what we found is, so we've made strides with our affinity groups. So those are completely employee driven, but it's an opportunity for those groups to educate the firm on things that are important to them, things that stand out. One thing that we are working on right now is a diversity calendar. And so that is going to be basically put up on a portal and Anything that means something to a group will be posted there and you'll have an opportunity to tell why it's important. So whether it's Diwali or Martin Luther King Day, it is going to give people an opportunity to kind of get more depth because I, I do think that people are interested, but at times just afraid to ask or don't want to say the wrong thing. A lot of the racial injustice and, and what it, that happened over the summer. And as we talk about it, people say it really was an elephant in the room because you didn't know how to address it and you didn't want to say the wrong thing. So we feel that with giving information and putting it out there and allowing people to potentially join an affinity group, regardless of what you're into or not, if you have an interest in the things that are happening within the group, then you have an opportunity to kind of make bonds with new people. Gotcha. So pardon my ignorance, but is an affinity group similar to an ERG? Yes. (laughs) Yes, we use those interchangeably. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you for that. (laughs) No problem. So back to you. I love what you've done. You've accomplished being with one organization, although it sounds like it feels like it's more than just one organization. Punch in one. You've been very successful. Any advice that, you know, if you could go back in time and give yourself some professional advice, what would it be? As women, sometimes you, you put yourself on a timeline. <laughs> I'm sure men this as well, but I, I know for me, it was when I hit 30, approximately 10 years ago, it was like, okay, I got to get married, the kids and everything needs to fall in place. And for me, what I found is if you are really a good person and a hard worker, things do fall into place. Not to say that you shouldn't raise your hand and insert yourself where necessary, 
but I think that don't get too caught up with times and numbers and dates. Be Find something that you're truly interested in. And HR for me is just, it's been a godsend for me. And you will absolutely thrive and be successful with hard work. I think hard work pays off. And that's the the best advice that I could give. Kind of like the cream rises to the top. Absolutely. I like that. What was the best advice that someone ever gave you? Best advice. Got to think through that one. Yeah, for me, it was just, I would sometimes doubt myself. (laughs) Not because I didn't know my stuff, but because, you know, you step into a room and maybe there isn't as much female representation as you'd like. Definitely not um, as much representation in terms of being an African-American woman. And for me, it was just be confident. You bring a lot to the table. And so be confident in what you bring because there are people that are very interested in hearing about you and your story. I like that. And outside of your family, who's impacted your life? Or actually, let me ask you, well, I guess life or career. Who's had that biggest impact on you? Yeah. Outside of family, I would say probably there's one partner in general at Markham. He actually hired me to the firm. And at the time, I mean, we couldn't have been more different in terms of the looks, (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. what he brought to the table, where he grew up, where I grew up. And we really bonded and he was able to really mentor me through my career. He's nearing retirement now, but he has just been an an amazing person for me, both professionally, but now we we have a personal relationship just because of 20 years together. What can I tell you? Wow. That's Mm -hmm. awesome. So he's been a mentor, essentially. Absolutely. A mentor in so many ways. You know, initially it was professional, but again, after 20 years with someone, it it does turn to personal in some ways. And so he, he really has been a mentor to me. Yeah. Do anything in the, within the organization when it comes to mentorship? We do. So we have a mentoring program that's actually formal. We, after six months with the firm, try to look at personalities and put together relationships. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. But for the most part, it's an opportunity for our people coming in to have someone at a higher level just to be there to advocate for them. And, and yes, HR does that on a regular basis for all of our employees. But to have someone dedicated to you within the firm is a great thing to know that you have someone that can be there for you and, and give you advice. And there there are some that will go out and and do that on their own and others that really need someone to initiate those conversations for them. And that's where HR comes in within our firm and when we're able to, you know, build these relationships. That's great. Yeah, I'm a huge advocate for mentorship. So it's and obviously it's been good to you too. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of quotes. To me, they really just hit home and they they drive home points. I'd like to share a quote with you and get your perspective on it. All right. Okay. It's not the numbers that drive the culture. It's the culture that drives the numbers. That's a big one. But I like it because I feel like I can tie it back into some of the diversity stuff that we've talked about on this so far. And it really is that to a certain extent, yes, you know, money is important because that's what makes the world go around, right? But you want to make sure that you have a culture that also supports diversity and diversity in thought. We've talked about that a couple of times today. And just different backgrounds, because I think that there's value in that. There is value in kind of stepping outside of, again, we talked about a sheet mentality and really getting different perspectives because you would be amazed at just how differently people perceive or look at things. And I think that you can get a lot of 
that out of someone just by having a conversation. So I actually, I, I really like that quote. Adam. Yeah, me too. I, that's just, it's one of my favorites. I really think it's, it, it just, it's powerful. If you really kind of unpackage it, it, it's there. So Saran, I thank you for making the time to have, you know, to share with me today and us, whoever's listening. Thank you. <laughs> We're all thanking you. This was a well, fun conversation. You. This is really, it was interesting. You really are a unicorn. This doesn't happen. So I think that speaks to your organization and also you. You've flourished. You've done a lot. I've accomplished a lot. You seem very passionate about what you're doing and you're obviously moving the needle. So it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. I appreciate that, Adam. You're so easy to talk to. So thank you for having me. And I, whatever you need, I'm here. I like that. I'm going to take you up on that. (laughs) (laughs) Make it a great day. Many thanks for listening to Who's Who in HR. If you're looking to connect with more top-level HR professionals, be sure to log on to networkwise.com to find out how you could be part of an HR mastermind group. Also, Subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date on everything happening with NetworkWise. In the interim, make it a great day and remember to always NetworkWise.